It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. Philippians chapter 2, what a wonderful epistle this is that was given to the church there at Philippi by the Apostle Paul when he was in a Roman prison, chained between Roman guards, and uh, gave this epistle. It's amazing to me that a man in his situation has got somebody else in mind. <laughs> he's not complaining about his own condition, but he's interested in encouraging somebody else. And that's the type of man the Apostle Paul was. And boy, what a great book this is. It's a, it, the entire book is a book of instruction and encouragement. And I thank the Lord for it. Notice, if you will, Beginning in verse number 5, some of the greatest scripture you'll find concerning the steps downward by the Lord Jesus as he came from the heights of heaven to the lowland of sorrow so that he could take us from the lowland of sorrow to the heights of heaven. I like to think about him getting on that elevator of grace and saying, down, please. And he came all the way down. And he didn't get off where the fallen angels were. He said, on down, please. And he came on down as far as it could go. And he got off there because that's where I was at. In that pit of sin. <laughs> Amen. He got off and was made like unto me and then put me back on there and says, up please. And going to take us higher than the angels have ever known. Praise God. That's just real good, I think. And for a country boy to get in on something like that. <laughs> Praise God. And nobody ending up with a somebody like him. Praise God. Well, let's read here. Notice verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I've read commentators that says that's an impossible verse. If it was impossible, it wouldn't be in the text. It wouldn't be in the Bible if we did not have the privilege or the opportunity to have the mind of Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought, now that word thought, there is revealing what's in the mind of Christ. See, who being in the form of God, thought, that's what comes from the mind. And what he's teaching us, if you've got the mind of Christ, it will be a life of humility. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found uh, in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death and he could have stopped right there and would have been correct he became obedient unto death but the Lord, the Holy Ghost, describes to us that it was a particular death that he must die. And it says even that death of the cross. I want to preach tonight from that last statement there uh, on this thought, even that death of the cross. Let's ask the Lord that he might help us tonight. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given us together tonight in the house of the Lord. Thank you for these who have congregated together. I sense tonight that, Lord, many of us are of one mind. Seems tonight as the songs about the Savior and then about the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. Seems like that it's been stirring in a number of heights. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in life beyond this life and beyond this veil of tears. I pray now that your will would be done. I pray that the power of the Holy Ghost would work in this place tonight. Lord, I ask nothing for myself but that I could be an empty vessel that you may fill with yourself that I may be poured out to this awaiting congregation. God, may, be, may we be reminded again of the blessing and the greatness of our Savior who took our place under on an old rugged tree. I pray that your will would be done. I pray for the unsaved that you'd bring them into the acknowledgement of yourself by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. I pray now that you would help us and for whatever is accomplished, you will get all glory for it. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name we pray, amen. In studying this one, one day, I was looking at this text and I began to see a parallel here uh, with the gospel accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all four of them are talking about at the same person. And it's given us the, the accounts, sometimes the very same accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I began to see that. I began to, somebody said, well, why would we need four different accounts 
that concerning one person. Well, it's sort of like flipping through a photo album and you see different snapshots and different poses and different sides of the same person. I see in Matthew, he's got a crown on. Hallelujah. I see in Mike, he's laying on the altar as a servant. I see in, in Luke's account as he becomes man. But in the gospel of John, we see him as God himself. As I began to look at this, I see there, uh, notice what it says in verse number six. It said, who being in the form of God. Now that's Matthew's account. That's showing us that he is the king of the Jews. If you'll notice in Matthew's account, the genealogy begins with Abraham. And he goes all the way back to Abraham. But he is the king of the Jews. And we find there that he was interested in the Hebrew race. I'm glad that the gospel came to the Jew first. And then also to the Greek. And that's exactly right. I'm telling you, he came through the Jewish bloodline. And that's why the world hates the Jew tonight. Because of one seed. And that's the darling son of God. But I'm glad they'll never ever throw him. They'll never overthrow him. Hallelujah. I'm glad we're saved and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then... I not only see him in the way Matthew portrays him, but then the Bible says here that he was made or took upon him the form of a servant. Right. Now there's how Mark portrays him. Shows us as the servant of God. You see, in Mark's account, there is no genealogy. Because who cares where a servant came from? Whenever you go to apply for a job, they don't ask about your family tree. They don't even care who your daddy is. They just want to know what you can do. And that's the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the Bible says that he was made in the likeness of man. There's the way Luke portrays him. Amen. There he is. And, and uh, he came in the likeness of man. The genealogy in Luke, of course, is that comes from Mary's side. Matthew comes from Joseph's side. And, and Luke comes from Mary's side. And it goes on past to Abraham and goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew tells me he's interested in the Hebrew race, but Luke tells me he's interested in the human race. I'm glad that he went on back past Abraham, hallelujah, and he got back there and he can't, it interceded and intersects with you and I. Then, then the Bible says that uh, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now that word equal is a mathematic time. And if it's God plus God, it's got to be God. <laughs> God plus God equals God. 
And of course, that's the way John portrays him. Has the darling, in this book, an amazing book. And of course, John has no genealogy because God has no genealogy. I'm glad he came from nobody. He has always been. I'm glad that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. I'm glad it was him that formed a, a man out of dust of the ground. It was him that brought creation into existence. The Word of God. Now, we see here that this book, just the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. But you know, as we think about the death of the cross, there's a false concept today of what the cross means. And when the Bible talks about the cross, what it's really referring to. It's just not dealing with the tree of wood. But when the Bible speaks of the cross, it's basically referring to what was accomplished on the tree of wood. And who it was hung on the tree of wood. Hallelujah. <laughs> this thing may get bigger than me tonight. I want to tell you all the modern, all of the religions deal with the cross in one way or the other. You take Catholicism, they have Christ on the cross. You take ritualism, they have a cross without a Christ. You take modernism, they have a Christ without a cross. <laughs> You take humanism and there's no cross nor a, no Christ. But you take Christianity and yonder on a hill far away. Stood in old ragged cross. Hallelujah. And we glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say hallelujah. You and I have been set free because of what took place on Calvary's hill. We have the one who died on the cross. But praise God, they took him down, laid him in a tomb, and he got up never to go to another cross. And he's on a throne tonight, and he's coming back for me and you. I'm glad for the cross, aren't you? Praise God for the cross. Now, Satan tried to destroy the coming of the Lord before he ever came. Matter of fact, when Cain killed Abel, it was Satan trying to destroy the seed from which Christ would come. When Esau struggled with Jacob in the womb, it was Esau trying to kill Jacob in the womb. Amen. And you come on down in the seed line from which Christ came, got down to one young man by the name of Joash, eight years of age, and they hit him out. Praise God, Satan thought, boy, if I could just find him, but he couldn't. I'm telling you, when God hides you out, he can't find you. And, and God preserved the seat royal. When all of the male children were cast into the Nile, 
during the days of Pharaoh. It was Satan trying to wipe out the seed from which Christ would come. When Jesus came to the earth, when it was birth, when Herod had all the babies killed from five years old or two years old and under, it was the devil trying to keep Christ from going to an old rugged cross. Bible said time and again that they took up stones to stone him, but it wasn't his time yet. You know what it was? The devil trying to keep Christ from going to an old rugged cross. When they whipped him, when they whipped him beyond recognition, at Gabatha. My friend, it was the devil trying to kill him before he ever carried that cross. Hey, but I'm telling you, the devil did not succeed. I'm glad he carried it all the way. And he got there. Hallelujah. And you and I have been delivered because of what Jesus did on the old rugged cross. Now, why, why must it be even the death of the cross? Why just not dying be sufficient? Why not just, somebody said, well, why not just a natural death? Because God can't die a natural death. <laughs> somebody would say, well, why not stoning? They stoned Stephen. Yeah, but Stephen was a good man, but he wasn't a son of God. Stoning him, throwing him over a cliff. No other death would have sufficed. He must die the death of the cross. Why? I'd like to answer that tonight by Jesus' own words himself. Go with me to John, please. John chapter number three. You find in verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John chapter 8 and verse number 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. John chapter number 12 and verse number 32. Bible says there, and I, Jesus speaking, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now in all three of those statements, in John's account, he's referring to them 
And in every one of these, he's dealing with the Pharisees, the religious crowd. And uh, every one of these is making reference to when they lift him up, not when they cast him over headlong over a cliff, not when they stone him, not him dying some other death, but when they have lifted him up. Then that when Jesus, Jesus knew he must die the death of the cross. Hallelujah. I'm glad that he died even he was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. I say hallelujah for the death of the cross and he fulfills the precious word of God. Could I say this? Don't ever be ashamed of the cross because it's where our soul was made free. Look with me, please. I'll deal with these briefly and be finished. John chapter 3, Jesus dealing with a very religious fellow by the name of Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus scratched that head full of wisdom and said, but sir, how can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He said, Nicodemus, you're thinking with the human mind. Nicodemus, let this mind be in you. <laughs> that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he said, I'm talking to you about being born again. Right. Being birthed into the family of God by the Spirit of God. And uh, Nicodemus said, well, I'd like to know a little more about it. And Jesus said to him, to him there in verse number 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, even so, that word even so means the same as. Even so, now get this next word. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want to deal first with the, the must of the cross. In other words, there was no other alternative. There was no other avenue. There was no other way. As Moses lifted up, Nicodemus wasn't ignorant of the, uh, of the episode there in the book of Numbers 21 where the people uh, had been murmuring and God sent serpents in among the people, fiery serpents. And the fiery serpents bit the people. And everyone that was bitten was dying. And they were dying everywhere. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament scripture. He knew it very well. And he knew exactly what the Lord was referring to. Whenever he said, Nick, Nicodemus, you remember when Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. He said, I'm telling you that 
that same thing must happen to me. I must be lifted up just as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. I say hallelujah. Oh, I'm telling you, it's amazing to me that the people came to Moses and said, please, would you pray for us? We're, bit, we, we're bitten and we're dying. And uh, God, Moses went before God and God said, Moses, I want you to make something exactly like is what's biting them. I want you to make a serpent of brass. And I want you to put that serpent of brass on a pole. And I want you to put that pole in the midst of the camp. You know why he wanted it in the center of the camp? So whosoever will could look and whosoever will look was healed. Hallelujah. That's exactly why he didn't stick it off in the corner of some allotted tribe somewhere. He put it right in the middle of the camp. And he said, if you look, you can live. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm glad one day I looked. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus died there and I cried to him and he saved me by his grace. Look and live is the message. Look and live. See, a little old snake bite. I don't like snakes. But the outward effect doesn't show much. Just two little marks. But all death is on the inside. Somebody said, well, look how good I look. I don't care how good you look. Death is on the inside. But look how good I dress. I don't care how religious and holy you dress. Death is on the inside. It's not what's on the outside that's going to, that matters. It's what's on the inside. And death was on the inside. And that venom was in there and went into that bloodstream. And death, death was on the inside. Please listen to me tonight. And I really thought all day I was going in another direction. Brother BP called me and said, what you going to be preaching on? And I told him another message. If I told him this, and he wouldn't have come. <laughs> No, I'm just sitting, I thought all day I was dealing with, but boy, the time, closer time got, and I don't understand, but I'm really telling you, it's the death that's on the inside, on the inside. They could look just as good and nice. The only thing about it, death was inwardly, and, it was a, and they're not going to last long with the poison in their veins. They're going to have to have help from somewhere. And there was a multitude died, I'm sure of that. But, I, but when Moses erected that serpent in the midst of the camp, Brother Billy, when, the, when Moses put that serpent up, I can see some, I, I, I wonder who was the first one that looked. The first one that looked. And all of a sudden when they looked, they knew there'd been a change made. <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody said, I don't really know if you can know whether you've been saved or not. You reckon that old boy that was snake bit? You reckon? Do you reckon him on the verge of death? All of a sudden he looked and he don't even have any after effect. He's, <laughs> he's just made whole. I'm telling you, the cross of Calvary. Jesus said, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. He didn't have to take no more snake venom for an antidote. I learned this. If you go, if you get rattlesnake bit, you go to the hospital, they give you rattlesnake venom as an antidote. Well, I'm glad that in the economy of God, if you was a whiskey drinker, I'm glad that when you get saved, you don't have to continue being saved by taking a little of what you had before you saved. <laughs> I'm just simply saying that death is on the inside and when they looked at that serpent, they were healed. I believe that's right. Brother Tommy, I believe that's right. And Somebody would say, now, preacher, you're saying that there's no flesh to deal with. You didn't hear me say that. You didn't hear me say that. But I can tell you, once the Lord saves you, he don't leave you like you were. Right. And I say hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I wonder who the first one was that looked. And all of a sudden... Man, energy and vigor and vitality. I know what I'm talking about. Seemed like all the burden that the snake caused was gone. Now he's being set free. What do you reckon he done? The first one that looked, what do you think he done? You think he went over in his tent and sat down and said, boy, I sure I'm glad I ain't a dying no more. No, because he's got little old youngins and he's got a wife and he's got friends and family that's been bit too. And he goes through the camp and says, look, I was bit also, but I've looked and lived. I'm looking and I've lived. I pray, look and live. Look and live. I believe if you really get the snake antidote, you want somebody else to get it too. You believe that? I don't much believe in getting saved and keeping it to yourself. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said to those blind men, Matthew 9, now, boys, I'm going to do this for you, but don't tell nobody. How could you keep from telling? Matter of fact, they wouldn't even have had to have said anything. They went in the house blind, came out seeing. Everybody saw them go in, come out seeing. I'm telling you, your life speaks volumes. We need to understand the truth of the cross. Amen. Even so must 
the Son of Man be lifted up. I've got a little old point or two here, but it, that don't make no difference. I, I'm just simply saying, I'm just simply saying there's the must of the cross. There was no other alternative. Brother Danny, that was the must of the cross. <laughs> then, go with me please to chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now the, the Pharisees have come again. And Jesus in chapter number 7 uh, has dealt at the Feast of the Tabernacle. And uh, the Bible says that after that feast uh, that he gives the discourse after the feast about being the light of the world. And of course that woman that was called in adultery, he deals with her. And then there's another crowd that begins to invoke, and I could say provoke the Lord and with questions, not wanting answers, but trying to catch him in an untruth which a person that's never lied, you can't catch in an untruth. One that has no ability to sin, you can't catch in an untruth. He always told the truth. And uh, he said in verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak... Look, notice now, and I speak to the world. Get that. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. You know what he's telling them? He said, I'm the light of the world. I came from God. I am the Son of God. I am God. And he told that to the world. I'm the light of the world, he said. But they understood not. They didn't understand. Then he makes this reference. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them. Unto them who? Those that didn't understand. Then he said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man... Then shall you know that I am He. <laughs> Boy, I got to looking at that one day and I thought, my goodness. We're saying, and we're saying, boy, they were blinded to it, and they were, but on Calvary Day, on Crucifixion Day, Jesus said, fellas, you don't understand now, but when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye are going to understand. Then ye are going to know that I am He. Let me point out something here. Not doing the scripture any damage at all. Look at verse 28. 
Then saith Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am. See, the he is in italics. And it's put there to help us to understand it better and inspired, may I say. But he said to them in the Greek language, when ye have lifted me up, then you're going to know that I am. <laughs> I am what? I am anything, whatever. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. I am the husbandman. I am the good shepherd. And right on down the line, when you lift me up, then you're going to know that I am. That I am He. Well, let's kindly examine this for a moment. See, in other words, he said, you're going to know. Who, who's going who's gonna to know? Well, let me say, first of all, that religious crowd was going to know. Bible says in Matthew 27, in verse number 20, 21, matter of fact, just prior to that, Jesus cried, it is finished. And then he's... He said, in, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. <laughs> well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, what, what we don't understand it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the Lord Jesus cried, It's finished. And the high priest at the evening sacrifice was in 3 in the afternoon. And for the third time that day, he would slay a little animal out there on the altar and was going to go in to the second compartment, which is called the holy place. And he was going to take some of that blood. But also this time, he has brought with him a little censer full of hot coals from off of that altar out there in the courtyard, the brazen altar. And he's brought that censer in there, and he has with him some frankincense and myrrh, and some sweet-smelling fragrance, and there's a little incense altar that's right before that veil. And for, for years and hundreds of years, that veil had been stretched across there. And that veil, like just about that much, touching the floor. And you see, there was no fire at all. On the incense altar, you had to bring it from the altar where the lambs were slain. <laughs> in other words, if you want to get a fire built in here, you had to get it from where the lambs were slain. And it, <laughs> yeah, 
and he'd bring him hot coals and it had a little shovel and he would put it underneath that incense altar. Then he'd take that frankincense and that myrrh and that sweet-smelling fragrance and he'd sprinkle it on them hot coals and it would cause kind of a cloud of a smoke. And I found this out recently that that cloud, that smoke didn't ascend upward immediately. It's like a little smoke coming out of a chimney on a rainy day. On a cloudy day, it kind of goes up and then down. And you know why? Because the veil liked about that much touching the bottom. And back yonder where the mercy seat was, God was between the wings of the cherub. And that sweet-smelling savor would go down underneath the bottom of that veil and right up in the nostrils of God. And it was a sweet, that's a picture of worship. Amen. But my point is, that high priest whose lot it fell at that particular day to do that at three o'clock was just getting ready to put that incense on that on that altar amen and about that time hey I personally believe that he was one of the ones that said to him we don't understand I don't understand but buddy about the time he got ready he thought to go through his ritual there was an unseen hand <laughs> Reach down from the glory world and grab that veil and rent it in two from top to bottom. You say, what's that got to do with anything? It opened up a new and a living way. I'm glad, praise God, that there's nothing now that can separate us from our God. That veil was real. If you'll study in the book of Corinthians, you'll find that the flesh, the body of Christ, was representative of that veil that was rent. And while they're rending the veil out there, stripping away the flesh, while they're rending the veil out there, God's are ripping this and two in here. Well, I don't have time to deal with that, but I'm telling you, while the men was doing something to his son, God was doing something for the rest of us. He was a ripping that veil. Hallelujah to God. I'm glad that I know who Jesus is. You know why they had to beat him and bruise him like they did? Rending the veil. That's another message. I don't want to confuse you, but it'll make you shout a time or two when you get a hold of it. See, he was made man. He took on the form of a man. And for us to become the sons of God, they had to beat the man part and rend it and rip it and tear it. <laughs> There's, oh, what a Savior. 
You know what I want to do right now? I want to crawl under something. I, want, I just want to crawl under something and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for taking that beating like you did. Thank you, Lord, for dying the death of the cross. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. Then... Let me say not only, let me move on and close. You know what I, I love about, the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, I think that's right, I can't see. But in Acts chapter 6, and it says in verse number 7, and, that, and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great number of the priests were obedient unto the faith. <laughs> a great number of the priests. You know what I believe that old boy did? I don't believe he hung around in there and wondered what, I believe he left out of there and said, hey boys, something's happened inside the holy place. Yeah, and he went and told everybody and all of a sudden a great number of the priests believe was obedient unto the faith. <laughs> See, I'm dealing with the manifestation of the cross here. I think I forgot to tell you that. But he said, you're going to know. We see not only did the religious world know, but the pagan world knew. Matthew 27 again, verse 54. Now when the centurion, centurion's a man over a hundred Roman soldiers, and they, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus could have said, I told you, you would know. <laughs> I told you, you wouldn't know. The political world knew. They said, Pilate, we need to secure that tomb. We've got to secure that tomb. He said, well, do the best you can. They said, because some of his disciples is going to come and steal him away. That ain't what they're scared of. Because he had done told them, when you lift me up, then you're going to know that I am he. <laughs> and they secured that tomb, but they secured it for nothing. Because up from the grave he Boy, I'm telling you, I'm about to come under. I feel, I feel 19 inside. <sighs> Praise God. The, the, Angeletic world knew. How do you know they knew? Well, 
I believe when they're beating the Lord Jesus and when they hanged him on the tree, I believe the created beings in heaven were standing at attention, waiting on the command to send 12 legions of angels. They were waiting. When, sir? When, sir? And God never gave the go-ahead because he wanted me and you to be there too. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something else too. The demonic world knew. I believe that. I, I'm about done here. Boy, I really don't want to quit. I may not get like this for the next three months. I'm telling you, it's a getting good in my soul. Look in Colossians 2. I don't have time to deal with this. I just want to read you something. Verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that, that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now what's that? Well, there was something else. Not only did the Roman soldiers nail Jesus to the cross, Jesus himself nailed something to the cross. Well, that's what he says. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing in them over it, or triumphing over them in it. Brother Stanley. You see, it was customary in that day when the Romans were in rule. If you were guilty of a crime and you had been, in, you had been captured, convicted, and incarcerated, the jailer or the warden would write down on a piece of parchment what you were guilty of. And then they would take that piece of parchment and nail it to your cell door. In other words, you didn't have to ask the man inside what he was guilty of. It was already written down. And it was nailed on the outside of the door. The door. And that man pulls his time. And now he gets to go free. The warden 
holds those ordinances that was against him that had been nailed to the door and takes his pen and writes paid in full and folds it neatly and gives it to the one that's free. And he may say, I don't want this. I don't want to be reminded of what I've done. And the warden would say, but you go back to the place where you've committed the crime. <laughs> they may want to put you back in jail again. But all you got to do <laughs> is make a show of them openly. And show them that it's been signed and sealed. That it's your, your time and your, your pardon has been paid in full. When Jesus died on the old rugged cross, those ordinances that was against us was nailed to the door. <laughs> nailed there. And then when Jesus, they took him down off of the cross. He was, he was dead, yes. But he reached up and grabbed those ordinances. And praise God, he took them with him into death. And then when he makes that, he makes that trip back yonder to the glory world with that blood to put on the mercy seat. The enemy said, the devil who's the prince and the power of the air, the prince and the palate said, they, what are you doing? He said, paid in fall, paid in fall. And he made, he made a show of them openly over them in here. And now the devil comes and said, look what he's done. And he jerks them ordinances out and says, paid in for. Paid in for. Well, the creative world knew the sun wouldn't shine and the and the birds wouldn't sing, and the, the rocks and the hills quaked, and the, the creative world knew, and I'm going to tell you, I know. <laughs> and if you're saved, you know. And all of that happened because of the death of the cross. Let me close. I'll not labor here. My laboring tonight is over. He said in John chapter number 12. He said there, John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We've seen the must of the cross. We've seen the manifestation of the cross. Then shall you know, it'll be manifest. Then shall you know that I am he. Then lastly, the magnetism of the cross. 
the drawing power of the cross. The drawing ability, Brother Blair, of the cross. Hard rock. It's it's so wonderful to think about the drawing ability of the cross. Let me just give you this and I, I, I'll close. I, I'll close. Listen carefully. I think that the cross was first a magnet for sin. The Bible says that Jesus was made sin for us. Just as Moses made a serpent for them to look and live, Jesus was made exactly what was killing us, where death came from, and that was sin. He was made sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him? Jesus, when he hung on the cross, was a magnet for every sin that had ever been, was being, and would be committed. He, was, he died there and was made sin. John Baptist, listen, listen, please don't cut me off here. But we, you know, we talk about sins being in the depths of the sea. And we talk about sins being behind his back. And about sins being as far as the east is from the west. Well, if you'll notice, all of those are Old Testament sins. And the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. It could just push off sin. That's why every year they could go in behind the holy, behind the curtain, the veil, and put the blood. Not to do away with sin, but to push off sin for another year. And all of those innocent animals that were slain didn't do away with sin. Just pushed them in the depths of the sea, put them behind his back, blotted them out as a thick cloud, but they were still there. You know, we preach about Sins in the depths of the sea, and the Lord put up a no fishing sign. Well, the problem is, the devil is a trespasser. He ain't never obeyed nothing God said. And he'd he would fish just in spite of it. But let him fish. My sins ain't there. Neither are yours, neither is anybody's. John Baptist having a baptismal service down the river of Jordan said, Behold, that means don't look at me anymore, but look coming yonder. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died, he was made to every sin that had ever been committed. All of those in the depths of the sea, he dug them all up. All of those that was behind his back, he reached back there and got them. All of those that was blotted out as a thick cloud, he pushed the cloud away and gathered all of them and rolled them on himself. 
and ever of sin that was being committed at that time. That's why he kept saying, it's in the, it's in the continual tent. Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do. What was he doing? Being made sin for their sin then. The very man that smote him and beat him, he was being made his sin. Lord, have mercy. That's why he kept saying, Father, forgive them. And then he reached way out here where you and I are. And he got all of our sin that we would ever commit. And he rolled them on himself. And he died. He died. And they took him down and buried him. And when he got up, he had no sin. Where are they, preacher? I don't know. And I don't care. You ask me why I'm happy. I'll tell you why. My sins are gone. You'll never enjoy God like you need to if you don't realize your sins are being paid for. That's what I love about I'm done. Now I'm done. If y'all's looking at your watch, I'm done. That's why I love the new birth. May the 29th, 1953. Billy, and yours was 30th. There was a Davis boy born in the Davis family, and that was me. And I was born a boy. You got to clarify that these days. I'll die, boy. And when I got here, when I got here, there wasn't anything recorded about me. I didn't have a past when I was born. <laughs> All I had was future. <laughs> when I was born, all I had was future. Didn't have no past. And, uh, but I was 27 years old when I was born again. Boy, I'd made a mess out of my life. Lord, what a mess. In the cab of that old truck, 8.30 on a Tuesday morning, August the 2nd, 1980, 383 mile marker, 8.30, 40-foot flatbed with a load of rebar steel eastbound, Interstate 40, Knoxville before they fixed malfunction junction. <laughs> Couldn't close my eyes. Didn't matter, I hadn't been able to close them for about three weeks. <laughs> Couldn't stop, couldn't bow my head. <laughs> but I grabbed another gear and said, oh God. <laughs> I can't handle this no more. <laughs> Oh, God, would you save me? Oh, God, would you save me? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and that morning, that morning, all of the weight of the world was lifted off of me. And I was born again. But you know what's so wonderful about that? 
When I was born the first time, I had no past and all I had was future. When I was born the second time, it did away with my past and all I've got is future. <laughs> I tell you, we ought to have, we ought to say hallelujah. Our past is gone. We have no past. No past. We can start down through here and work our way. I'm closing. Come back up through here. There's no telling how many old drunks and dopers and old harlots. There ain't no telling how many of those are in here. But you cried out to the Savior. And he saved you by his grace. And he done away with your past. And now all you got is future. I say hallelujah. I'm glad my sins are gone. Rejoice in it because it is so. Some of you can't enjoy being saved for being what you were when you was lost. Well, you ain't what you were when you was lost. That's all gone. Somebody said, well, he wiped the slate clean. No, he threw the slate away. There's not even a place where my sins were. Jesus was made my sin. Even the death of the cross. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.